practice doesn't make perfect, it makes it available. Why I say that is the more you practice at it, the better you become, the more available your options are. When I sit around and I want to do something, I just over and over and over. I tell people when they start off, they may suck at it. But if you look back three weeks, three years, 10 years, and you're way better, you just realize it was practice. You're the same person, but you developed from practicing in repetition. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends, if you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the show. Today, I'm sitting down in studio with the legendary John Sally. John, what's up, dude? Thanks so much for joining me on the show, man. Everything, John. Yes, sir. Well, listen, man, here on the show, we like to reverse engineer world-class performers Mm -hmm. and try to package it in a way where people listening can take something, you know, apply it to their life and achieve whatever it is that they're trying to reach out to achieve. So in order to get to that you know, stage. What I really like to do at the beginning of these is kind of rewind the clock, do a little bit of context, let everybody know how you got to where you are today. So let's do. I'm talking. I'm talking. Eleven year old, twelve year old oh. John Sally. Take 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 us back. Set the scene. What, what was life like for you? I was living in a van down by the <laughs> river. <laughs> um, from Brooklyn, New York, Canarsie. I was this really skinny kid, the last of my mother's and father's three boys. Okay. And uh, I was little Sally. My brothers were these football players. And of course, you Wait, know. You were, li- you were the little one. I was little, but literally I was I, maybe 87 pounds or, okay. or something like that. And uh, I'm playing wide receiver and I turn, I catch the ball for my brother. I turn around and I get laid out. By your other brother? No, by this kid named Mike. Okay. And all I'm seeing is stars. I didn't drop the ball. And I'm looking up, and they were like, wait, hold on to the ball. And they were like, and I was dizzy. I took my helmet off, and I never put a football helmet back on. (laughs) And I was in the gym from that point on. I was uh, 11, 10, 11 years old. And uh, I remember when I was six, this kid, Eric Jones, his father was watching the Nick game. And his father, you know, had the best Afro sideburns. And he was like, man, bas- NBA basketball players get all the girls. They got all the money. They get the cars, the clothes. And he was talking about Clyde Frazier. And I just never forgot it. So yeah. by the time I was 12, I was telling everybody I was going to be a professional basketball player. And, and I wasn't anywhere which you would think close to it. Really? But I believe in mind over matter. I went through a growth spurt. At 15, I grew four inches in six months. Jeez. Uh, I know my body was hurting. My feet were elongating. Hard to gain weight when you're doing that too. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I still don't gain weight that way. <laughs> and I just remember, like, that was it. At 14, when I was in eighth grade, that was, that was it. At 15, Magic Johnson gets, when I'm 15, Magic Johnson is 19. He gets drafted in the NBA. Mm. And my brother looks at me and says, are you going to get drafted at 19? You're going to get drafted in the next, you know, five years? Yeah. 
He said that they obviously going into the pros at that time. And from 14 on, I did not miss a day of doing something with my basketball. I took mm. it everywhere I went. Except, you know, I was raised a Jehovah Witness. I didn't take it to the Kingdom Hall, but it was in the car. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it didn't need Jesus. It yeah. just needed me to pay attention to it. <laughs> and that was it. Then I got to Dipmas. I got a guy named Barney Davis, still alive, still kicking, helped me with my fundamentals. In the park with no one else, just me and Barney Davis. He asked mm. me if I wanted to learn the fundamentals, and I said, yeah. And then at 13, 14, I was playing for Ted Gustis at the Dipmas All-Stars. And then I was getting better and better. And in New York, you know, you're a New Yorker, guys in Brooklyn playing Brooklyn, guys in the Bronx playing the Bronx. I literally went and tried out for a team and I made the squad and I was playing in the Bronx for the Gauchos, which is a well-known team in, yeah, in New yeah. York. And Gauchos were Pearl Washington, God rest his soul. That was it. And I went from being this skinny kid who... My brother wondered if I was going to get drafted in the NBA to being considered number one, number two play in New York City, top 50 recruits. I picked mm. Georgia Tech, which is with Bobby Crimmins and had my teammate Mark Price. And, <laughs> and we went from being the worst team in the ACC to three years later being the best team in the country. And my senior year, once again, rated in the top 10. And I get drafted number 11 to the Detroit Pistons. So before we move into the professional career, I want to take a step back because I think that something that holds a lot of people back is the fact that they don't believe in mind over matter. And you said you did believe in oh, it. Yeah. And I wanted to touch on that for a second because I think it's, it's super important that people don't couple their, you know, God-given talent with their, their potential. Mm -hmm. And I think that often somebody would look at, you know, look at an, a professional athlete, somebody like you and be like, well, you know, you're just gifted and there's no way I would be able to ever do that and blah, blah, blah. And then, but you hear the story directly from you and it's like, well, you know, I had no business saying that I was going to be in the NBA when I was 12. Not every NBA player is, has the genetics of like the crazy athletes that we all think about or picture in our minds. Yeah. And a lot of it, especially when you get to that level, like if you're already in the top 1%, the thing that makes the top 1% of the top 1% is nothing to do with talent. <laughs> it's, it's all Mental. work ethic, hard work. It's your mentality, the way that you discipline yourself, your habits, your routines, doing the extra thing that other people aren't willing to do. Is that, am I, you know, on the right track? I think hard work creates talent, mm. right? Yeah. I think, uh, if you work at something hard enough and you let it develop and you go into the flow of learning it, yeah, repetition, yeah, repetition of shooting foul shots, repetition of shooting the ball from a certain point builds the muscle in your shoulder and your arm and your reflexes to exactly how to let the ball go that it will go in. Yeah. And if you practice not using the backboard and you only use the rim, your muscle will develop. So I believe Steph Curry had developed the muscle in his shoulder, elbow, wrist, fingers, and his eye coordination that literally if I do this every time, the ball will go in. And that repetition makes the ball go in. Mm. So I learned to use the backboard. And I learned, like I said, I learned to use everything to help manifest what I wanted to be yeah. and what I wanted to happen. I... 
I had a mother who was stricken with religion and wanted me focused on that. I had school. I had hormones. I was growing up in Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, I had a lot of things that would be considered distractions. To me, those were the boundaries that kept me focused on being a professional basketball player. Mm. I'm sure that there's probably a bunch of stories you could tell of maybe friends that had similar aspirations who did get distracted by the distractions. Yeah. Why do some people get distracted and why do some people stay focused like you did? I believe that you're born and you die and everything in between, you're the architect. You don't architect your birth or you don't architect your death, but you architect everything in between. And those, Chuck Daly, my coach in Detroit Piston, God rest his soul, one of the greatest coaches I've ever been involved with, he said, you have the best mental health of any athlete I've ever met. And I didn't understand what that meant. And he's saying it in the 80s. Health, mental health is such a huge thing to talk about now. Yeah. But in the 80s when he said that to me, and I was like, what do you mean? He goes, I can yell at you and scream and you can feel whatever, you nod, and then you go out there and either do the same mistake or you do it correctly. Mm. I go, well, coaches yell. And, you know, <laughs> that, that's, that's your job. But you know what I'm saying? You, you don't know what's going on inside my body. But I also, when I said I paid attention, I mentioned to somebody the rarity of being a professional basketball player. I don't, I, I take it so seriously. Yeah. Because just in America, there's 379 million people. There's now 430 NBA players. Yeah. So that's one in a million just in America. Right. But the whole world, yeah. chances of getting to that point, slim and none and slim left town. Yeah. So to sit and focus and say, this is all I want. This is what I want to do. This yeah. is not who I am, but this is what I want to do. Mm. who I am makes me better at what I do. And it was a focused understanding that everybody that didn't do it was a mentor to me, meaning what pitfalls and mistakes mm. they've made, yeah. I stayed away from. I didn't, I didn't try cannabis till I was 36. I didn't drink. I had alcoholics in my family. I trained every day. Mm. Um, I love women, but that's not a vice. That's, that's a compliment. <laughs> uh, and, and that was it. It's a, it's a distraction, though. That's well, it, it's funny. Can be. It's a necessary distraction. Yeah. <laughs> it's a necessary That's evil, right. brother. That's right. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I want to make sure I touch on that because I don't want to. Sometimes you interview people, man. It's just like it's so easy to gloss over things that are just like mega impactful. Like yeah. the, even that bit that you said about you know it's not. It's not who it's not who I am. It's what I do, and who I am makes me better at what I do. Like clip that social media clip right there, dude. I mean, like that. That like it's such it's gold. Yeah. Uh, what what you're saying, and, and it's obviously something that you live. It's part of your ethos. And the the thing that that I respect a lot about somebody like you is that you didn't. It's clear that basketball wasn't just like what you said. It wasn't who you were. It was what you did, and who you are is, was better. Like your the rest of your life, the entirety of your career has proven that because yeah. you didn't just play basketball at the highest level for some of the best teams, win multiple championships in multiple decades across the span of your career, which is already an amazing basketball career. But you got done with that and then you're like, all right, what's next? Right. What's next? What am I going to do I was next, what's right? next while I was playing too. Yeah, while you were playing. <laughs> while I was playing. It was like yeah. my third year in the league was 1989. And I go to my first All-Star game not, I've never been an uh, NBA All-Star. Their mistake. <laughs> but uh, I went because of the parties. 
Yeah. And it was off the chain. It was in Houston. I loved Houston when I first visited as a rookie. Yeah. This is going to be the greatest All-Star game. 1989 All-Star 1989 game. 1989 All-Star who, who, game. Who's some of the All-Stars in that Dominique game? Dominique Wilkins. Yeah. Ron Harper. Michael Jordan. Yeah. Keem Olajuwon. Isaiah Thomas. I mean, this was... Legendary. Adrian Dantley. This was huge. Legendary class, yeah. And Mark Aguirre, Magic, James Worthy, Cherry Cummings. Larry Bird, Kevin McHale, uh, this was packed. And at the time, were these people that you were, these were all people that you were kind of like, they were senior to you in terms of the, in terms of like the league. At yeah. That time. So but, this was like a, holy shit, I can't believe I'm like hanging out with uh, well, these guys. I realized they had limited amount of time <laughs> and I had three days of debauchery. No, I had three days of enjoying my NBA life. Yeah. And Don Sterling, my man at NBA Entertainment, put a microphone in my hand and gave me a camera. And he was like, you could just go with it. And so, you know, I see all the media saying, I'm not media. Yeah. So I walk and guy goes, you can't go in there with the camera. I said, man, get out the way. <laughs> and I go in the locker room <laughs> and I'm doing funny bits with Dominique Wilkins. I'm doing funny bits with, with Ron Harper, Spud <laughs> Webb. And this is the Saturday before and I am like loving the fact that one, the car blanche that I gave the NBA from being an athlete, but also I was doing something different than the rest of them. Mm. I was interviewing them from a player's right perspective and, you know, was doing everything that I've watched on television and learned to the point where I took the classes on how to speak, on enunciating my words, on literally getting to the question quickly. Mm. I took that on the same way I took on basketball. I wanted to know how it was. And then I realized I was going to be a trailblazer in doing this. Uh, I loved OJ Simpson in front of the camera. I loved watching the football guys do it. Yeah, But I hadn't seen any real basketball guys go in and say, I can speak the King's language and yeah, sure. have a conversation. So I, I took to that knowing that that was going to be the next step when I left the NBA. Yeah, already working on what's the next skill set that I have to adopt. And making sure NBC knew I would, what I could do. Yeah, right. Because like, <laughs> just because you play doesn't mean that you can also broadcast no, after. I found yeah. that out by watching a lot of guys on yeah, TV. Yeah, right. well, it's different skill sets, right? Like, it I mean, is. I think, I think a lot of people get stuck. Like even in their career, their business, whatever it is, like a lot of people get stuck because they're not willing to either admit that they don't have the necessary skill and then go get it, or they don't know what that skill is. Right. You know, but it's like, usually it's that. Like if you're stuck somewhere, it's usually because you don't know someone or it's because you don't know something. Exactly. You know what I mean? And you got to go figure out what that thing is or who that person is that can help you figure out what that thing is or you're going to stay there. Right. You know, you're not going to just magically one day wake up and be like, all right, I'm really good at this now. Everything <laughs> takes work. I say this to my daughters. Uh, one of my friends lost her phone the night she was going out and she goes, I had to lose it in the house. Couldn't find it in the house. And I watched her scratch like a heroin addict <laughs> uh, that she didn't have a phone. She literally took her friend's phone. It was like feeling it. And I said, this is the one time you get to disconnect from the matrix and change or program anything you want to program. Cause without your phone, you're feeling helpless. Yeah. I said, so what power does your phone have that you don't have? You remember names, you can't get into your garage, you can't use your credit card. I said, that's too much power yeah. in something that can be lost. 
And she sat there and I said, so whatever you want to change right now is the time to change it. And when I watched The Matrix, I talked to him about it when, when she tells him she wants to know how to fly a helicopter. That's just muscles. Mm-hmm. So if you're learning how to fly, you know this switch over here, this switch over here, what it feels like when the wind is coming against you, what to do when it's not, when to take it off. Once you go through 5,000 hours of learning how to fly, you can fly right. without using your arms to yeah. flap you. That's a muscle. And so if you massage the muscle in your brain to do anything, right now it's hard for me to learn languages because I haven't focused on it. I focused on, one, how to be in front of a camera. I focused on how to make a show, how to produce. So once you get to that, once you get to a point of knowing how to work the muscle, Mm. it's the easiest thing in the world. The skill of building skills. Yeah, Yeah. learning. Yeah. Learning and and retaining it and recalling it when necessary. Yeah. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over one hundred and forty million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I don't want to spend a ton of time on the NBA stuff because I know everybody else does and I like to I like to talk about stuff you don't normally get to talk about. But I do have to ask just a couple of things on the being in the league. First off, what was it like the first time you walked out onto the court? wearing, you know, professional basketball jersey. Well, the exhibition season is one thing, but when it's real. Yeah. So I was starting in Detroit. This is the craziest thing. I didn't score for the first 15 games. 15 games. When As I tell, a starter. When I tell you they wanted my head <laughs> and I was playing like I had never played the game. It was I, I couldn't. Couldn't, I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Media was hating me. I wouldn't go out to eat. 
my teammates are looking at me like, oh, you, what happened? Big superstar in college. And, right. And then I got fouled and I went to the basket and I went to the foul line and I had missed every foul shot and every shot I tried to get. I hit the foul shot and I bowed to the audience and everybody was booing me. <laughs> and uh, from that point on, they started starting Sid Green and Rick Mahorn and and I got to sit back and go, okay, you put the round thing in the round thing. <laughs> <laughs> this one is, is nine pounds of air. That one is 10 feet. Like I went back to the basics. Yeah, yeah. Put the round thing in the round thing. Don't let the other guy put the round thing and round thing. <laughs> and that changed everything for me. And I remember when, let me see, I leave Georgia in, in September to go to, the, I was living in, still at Georgia Tech. And I go to Detroit in September. When I went back to play, it was in February in Atlanta. And I, it's all-star game break. This is this 1987. And I go to practice. I don't go to the All-Star game. I just want to get out of Detroit, away from my teammates. Rookie year is the worst thing ever. I go to practice at Georgia Tech and I ask coach, let me run practice. Here's our practice sheet that, that just happened to be in my pocket. He goes, this is all you guys do in practice? I go, just set the clock up and run it according to how this guys were exhausted. <laughs> in 45 minutes, they were like, yo. Yeah, yeah. So it just made me learn in six months how I had advanced right. as an athlete, right. as a professional basketball player, and what my body was doing that I wasn't doing in college. I realized I was playing 15 games a month, and you play 30 games a year in college. Yeah, that's crazy. So it's more intense. It became what I thought I really wanted to do, and I have fun at doing everything I do. Yeah, yeah. You can definitely tell that. You can definitely tell that. <laughs> uh, so... So NBA career, stellar NBA career, like I said, multiple championships, multiple decades, one of only three or four people to yeah, ever have done people. that. They haven't done it in decades, but they've done it on teams. Yeah. I've done it yeah. in uh, two millenniums, three decades. There you go. Yeah. The millennium thing's going to be a difficult one to catch now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I told my wife, we were, born, we, we were married in the 1900s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so now post-NBA, you um, get into broadcasting and yeah. stuff. You NBC. were telling me before this, you were, uh, you're a parent. You have four kids. Yeah. How's that been? Compared uh, to everything that you do. Well, like I was raising only parenting. one at that time. <laughs> and then I had another one right when I was retiring. And then right after I had, I had my third one, I was done. I was already on the best day of sports show. But in 1997, I got a shot to host uh, halftime with Dick Fassett. I mean, um, Hannah Storm and uh, Vessi, and we sat there on NBC, and I did halftime. I gained 25 pounds, sitting there eating lunch and watching guys, and go, go, go. <laughs> and then, you know, flying to New York every weekend. Great gig. Yeah. I mean, Hannah Storm really helped me tremendously. She's still one of the, my favorite people on the planet. Mm. And you have to understand things at time, and your conversation has to be, on point and you have to be able to get your feeling out about something that's going on that you're not at and educate or, you know, give a bird's eye view mm -hmm. or different. Yeah. A bird's eye view of what educated perspective. Yeah. 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 So being a parent compared to everything else you've done in terms of level of difficulty. Very easy for me. Parenting comparatively. I'm a teacher. I'm a, I'm an educator. Mm -hmm. So, and I, 
understand that they're human. A lot of parents don't realize that about their kids. Mm. They just think they're kids. Uh, and they're just, but they're humans. They're human. So I had daughters and I had to realize uh, I was dealing with human beings. And the best view of it is parents are the bow. Kids are the arrow. Mm. How far you pull back and how well you aim is as far as your kids will go. Mm. But once you let it go, it's, it's the arrows. There's no getting it back. There's the arrow thing to go through what's in its way, use air as is, but it's the kid is the arrow. Mm. Love that, dude. Love that. So there's come down here to the end here. I want to get you out of here. I know you got a bunch of stuff to do today. Just have a couple of quick questions for you. Yeah. These will just be kind of rapid fire. So as quickly as you can or can't answer them. Is there anybody that you... I plead the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> already. Already. Is there anybody you secretly envy? No. Which actor would you want to play you in a movie of your life? Kevin Garnett. What's the main thing on your bucket list? I live my life. I don't have a bucket list. I look at everything as that's what I want to do. So I travel the world. That's what I love doing. What are most people afraid of that doesn't scare you? The challenge. <laughs> that's like that answer. That's a good answer. Clip it. If you, if you could install one piece of advice in a baby's mind, what advice would you install? Breathe deeply. For mental health purposes. This, a lot of people forget the most important thing when you were born and you got slapped on the booty if they still do that is that breath. So controlling your breath controls your temperament, controls your well-being. Mm. This has been awesome. I love, uh, love getting down to sit and sitting down and getting to have these conversations. The show is all about becoming world-class. If yeah. you had to distill it into one, two principles to say like, this doesn't just apply to my NBA career. This doesn't just apply to broadcasting or, you know, you're telling me about the streaming stuff, which I want to ask you about um, before we take off. What, what would you boil it down to? What, what principles would you say? Like, this is, this is the playbook to becoming world-class at, you know, whatever it is you want to do. Practice doesn't make perfect. It makes it available. Mm. Why I say that is the more you practice at it, the better you become, the more available your options are. When I sit around and I want to do something, I just over and over and over. I tell people when they start off, they may suck at it. Mm. But if you look back three weeks, three years, 10 years, and you're way better, you just realize it was practice. Mm. You're the same person, but you developed from practicing in repetition. Yeah. So tell us about what you got going on now. Where can people, oh. you know, find you? What, what I know you're saying uh, that you got, you got several shows. Yeah, you're, do, you're recording all the time. Where, yeah. where can we co-support more? Started, I started back the John Sally Block Party. We're on a new platform called Altered. A-L-T-R-D, no vowels. A-L-P-R-D. Yeah, and bringing tons of shows out. Sweet, man. Awesome. Thank you, Any social links, anything that you... John Sally. John Sally. S-A-L-L-E-Y. Check a brother out on Instagram. Go find John. Say what's up. Tell him you heard about him here on the show. John, thanks so much for coming on, man. Had a great time chatting with you. I appreciate it. Appreciate that. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. 
And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.